Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? It is the end of the year. This is our final episode of 2020. And barring any like weird things that happen in the next 45 minutes, we will have <laughs> something uh, to deliver to the people that is kind of like a reflection of this year. No? What do you think? That's a really wonderful way of explaining what we're about to do, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm great. I, it's like, been it, a while. It's been a it's while. Been a I mean, we went from like talking, what, several times a week to a bit of a break. Yeah. Well, maybe a break from us, but not a break for me. I was in exam period. And in case you're wondering how that went, it's like for at least one of my exams, I Googled every single one of the 60 out of 80 or I think 70 multiple choice questions that <laughs> I could get to. So, you know, it's it's it went great. <laughs> um, you know, it was what, for this class also that a professor was like this. I'm going to try to make this close closed book. I'm going to make this a closed book exam. We were all like, yeah, OK, good luck. And then eventually she had to admit to herself that she could not make it a closed book exam, which, you know, it's good for me. <laughs> It was highly Googleable. It should be fine. It's like it's, you know, closed book law, right? What? We're going to practice closed book law? What the fuck? <laughs> I know. I know. What a joke. It's just, but they're always like, you know, we're just preparing you for the, for the bar exam, which I didn't know this before I applied to school in the United States. The bar exam in the United States is closed book. That's ridiculous. Ooh. <laughs> very much open book in Canada, but very much closed book in the United States, which makes uh, no sense unless <laughs> unless you realize that the entire thing is a is a way to um, set up a really intense gate to keep particular uh, demographics out of the profession, which in that case, yeah, it makes total sense. Right. Right. Anyway, what have you been doing during exam time, Nora? <laughs> oh, I have been not uh, having exams, nor have I been dreaming about having exams. Exams have not entered my my world. But you know what? I've been really busy, too, because I'm working on a book about um, COVID and how journalists have shaped how we understand the pandemic. And it's it's really fun because I get to write this book as if the pandemic is over. <laughs> and so I get to say things like when we were in the pandemic or when the pandemic was really bad. Um, so it's a bit of, a, of an incredible work of semi-fiction. I mean, it's not a fiction book, but there's a little bit of fiction going in because it's not going to come out until the fall of 2021 when I hope this thing will be over. So it's been it's been good. That's highly optimistic, Nora. Oh, you think it's highly optimistic? I do. <laughs> I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do. I mean, you know, we just got the news this week that in Southern California, the ICU capacity has reached zero percent. So, you know, I feel like it's high, highly mm -hmm. optimistic. It just, you know, it's it it is just a time right now, you know, at the end of the year, it's holiday season. A lot of people aren't going to be able to um, to to be around family if they enjoyed being around family during the uh, during the holiday season. And a lot of people are spending it alone. It's a time where people can feel uh, really pessimistic generally, and uh, and it can be hard to to see the light. But I appreciate the optimism of you know seeing an end to this thing because, as you said before, mm -hmm. it will end. That is one thing that is certain. It will end. I like August. August yeah. feels good. Why not August? 
I'm I'm even feeling more confident to say something like June because we already went through the pandemic in warmer weather and it was not I mean it was bad but we got to still hang out outside which was nice and cases went down so I think um, before we start this episode we have a whole bunch of people to thank and once we do that are we going to get optimistic or pessimistic today? Let's get optimistic. Fuck. Let's just go okay. and be optimistic. But we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> there might be some moments of pessimism, but whatever. Let's start optimistic and thank some folks. It does It does work like that often with us, doesn't it? <laughs> so we haven't recorded in a long time. Uh, we've got quite a list of names. If I don't read your name because we had a gap in between uh, folks who are supporting the show, just send me a message and I'll make sure that we do that in the next episode. Um, and so as we always start, uh, thank you so much to everybody that supports the show. I certainly have heard a lot from people. I'm not sure, Sandy, if you're hearing from folks, but... It has been, I'm, I would not even hesitate to say overwhelming how much I've been hearing from people. And we got a new Discord space, uh, which information we'll put out in the show notes. So you can join that, hopefully. Um, uh, 2020 was a really amazing year for Sandy and Nora's audience. It was. And, you know, I, I have been seeing some of the messages. Some of them are really touching um, of uh, what the show means to people. And, you know, that, uh, you know, the show means a lot to me too, you know, when I come into this, to this space and I'm able to have a conversation with Nora and think about what might be interesting to folks to talk about, but also just to get things off of my chest and to think through some of our, you know, the difficult uh, issues of our day. And, um, you know, I'm glad that it's touching people, um, in in a way that I, I feel like I relate to. So I just, you know, it means a lot. So thank you to, to those of you who have been sending messages. It really, it really does. It's really uplifting and it means a lot. Mm-hmm. And in that thread, um, I want to say thanks so much to folks who've donated financially. Of course, financial donations are not the only way you can support the podcast, but it is a very important and, and, and helpful way uh, for us. And so thanks so much to Julian, Shaman, Jerome, Bridge, Connor, Adam, Claire, Delaney, Rowan, Meg, Lisa, Marika, Rufina, Alexandra, Colin, Deanna, Eric, Hannah, and Kelly. Thank you to all of you so much. Thank you so much. And you know what? Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Are you are you drinking something, Nora? Are you joining me in, in having some sort of celebratory what a great year. <laughs> um, I have to be honest, I am drinking uh, mint tea, uh, partly because I ended up on a toboggan hill. I mean, in Quebec City, that's all you can do right now is toboggan or skate or ski. And so today we went skating and tobogganing because that's what you do. <laughs> and um, I met up with friends and they pulled out some some something like Drambuie. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it was. It was a whiskey-based liqueur. And so I got to start drinking that on a toboggan hill at about 11 o'clock this morning. <laughs> so I have switched to, to tea, um, although uh, cheers, um, because it is earlier in L.A. and it is the end of the year. It is the end of the year and I'm having a rum chata, <laughs> which is really great. OK, so Nora, remember, remember the beginning of the pandemic where, you know, uh, after after the moment um, of like initial shock and fear kind of subsided um, after, you know, that March, whenever it was in March, the first or second week of March, where things started to get really real. 
And then afterwards, you know, the moment subsided and then everyone felt like they were like coming together for a while. Do you remember that? <laughs> it felt like mm-hmm. everyone was like, you know, there was we were thanking our healthcare providers like in public shows of support. There was all of this coming together energy about how we were going to beat this thing. You know, governments were like, yeah, we're going to we're going to give out money to people and people were like, we're going to come together and beat this. Do you remember that feeling? Yeah, it was called um it was uh, uh, the 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 Team Canada feeling, I believe. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the Team Canada feel, but, but even beyond the Canadian context, it just, it almost, because it was like a worldwide thing, you know, that people felt like, oh, we're going to come together, we're yeah. going to do this. And then how long did it take for people to really, uh, people, for billionaires and corporations to just exploit all that and destroy it? Not no, no, long. that was very impressive. That wasn't optimistic, was it? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very optimistic. But I mean, that feeling, there was a lot of possibility in mm-hmm. that feeling, in the way that people were oriented. And uh, man, gosh, uh, you know, that feeling made me feel really optimistic and I think that 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 like just having gone through that and like the collective experience of it um, can like tells me that there are possibilities. Um, and I think it is more obvious than ever what stands in the way of those possibilities. If we go back to that time and think, what was it that was stopped um, that allowed this moment to be so exploitable where we find ourselves at the end of the year people staring down evictions, uh, people um, staring down economic um, uh, uh, situations that are that continue to worsen and that aren't getting much better um, and governments are failing. I think we can we can go back to those moments and see like what who were the people who stood in the way and um, and who should we not be trusting in future uh, when we're, we're trying mm. to, to change systems. Yeah, I have definitely experienced a lot of rage in the last couple of weeks. (laughs) A lot of very pure and deep rage. And it's, it's this incredible moment where everything that's wrong with our system is obvious. It's laid bare. It's right in front of you. And mm-hmm. it goes right from housing to food to, to safety on the job to all different kinds of jobs to to the racial segregation within our society to the income segregation. It's all there. And the solutions are all there too. Mm-hmm. The solutions are easy and they're obvious. They are financial sometimes. They're not always financial. They are governments saying, you know what? public health be more transparent. You know what? Contract tracing has broken down because too many people have COVID. Corporations, you have to publish your outbreaks. That's it. That's all we need. I mean, that's all we need. That's that's not going to change the world, but there's really small fixes that could be done tomorrow. And you step back and you're like, this isn't a partisan issue. Like, why would any politician not want to do simple things? Why are politicians in Hamilton, in Alberta, uh, stopping information from coming out about where people are dying? Why is John Horgan blaming people for partying and bringing COVID to the workplace rather than admitting that that workplaces drive COVID? Oh, it's because literally every single one of these pieces of shit is a fucking piece of shit politician. Every single one of them. (laughs) 
And so I've just been witnessing this in the last couple of weeks with this tremendous amount of rage because it's very obvious that the vaccine is being used as a political tool to hold people to that 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 closeness to their normal life as possible and to say, just hold on, just hold on, just hold on. You are going to get this vaccine. Just hold on, just hold on. Rather than taking this moment and that spirit that you referenced to finally fix some of these really obvious problems within society. And of course... The reason why they're not fixing these problems within society is because that's not how it works. That's not how power works. Power needs to be forced to fix things within society. And even though I've just explained how angry I am, I am also experiencing a very deep sense of optimism for 2021. And I think the optimism is tied to seeing a clear path towards what we demand for, towards seeing more engagement and seeing more people ready to be get to, to get involved into these in, in campaigns and in movements and in fighting power and, and fighting to change things. And so that makes me really excited because I just can't see 2020 being being better than 2021. Yeah, I <laughs> wow that you know you started with optimism, <laughs> you went deep into the caverns of pessimism, you came back to optimism and then you ended somewhere in between. So, <laughs> I don't really know what to do with that. But <laughs> um yeah, no, I I do think that you're right that uh what 2020 did do is open a lot of eyes, I think. And like we said before when we were talking about the defund the, the police, um uh, issue on uh, an episode not too long ago. Once people have opened their eyes to a thing, it's really hard to go back. You, you can't go back to a world where people don't know um, the things that they know now about an issue. Um, and that can really force some change. And one of the things that I think is, um, is, is such a, a, a boon that tw- 2020 has done, is it really uh, opened people's eyes to how politicized health is. I think that there was a way that people were resistant to talk about the politics of health prior to 2020. And there's a way that in 2020, a lot of health providers have become politicized in a way that they weren't before um, and have Mm. become more um, vocal on the political issues surrounding um, uh, public health, the social determinants of health, how how our social and economic um, places in society uh, shape our access to health. All of that has been conversations that have been being had forever, of course, but haven't had haven't been had in such a public way um, as they have been in 2021. And the kind of mass education around uh, why it is that uh, Canada's uh, public health system actually it isn't uh, uh, fully uh, accessible and fully universal and actually still does impact black people and indigenous people differently than other folks um, is a conversation and an education um, that at least some of us did get during this uh, uh, pandemic in a way that people haven't had before. And uh, people having that knowledge now gives me some optimism that it's going to need to be followed up with some action in the near future. 
Well, the other thing that I found really interesting about this year, too, is um, is the, the discourse around politicians and the power that they have or the power that they don't have. And I think that we saw very clearly the limits of partisan power, the limits of um, of public policy that, like, just makes sense, uh, making its way, in, like, through decision-making structures. And I'm really interested, like, when the dust settles to hear what people think is the path forward for the left, because we have not really seen... Uh, a strong left wing, I don't know, approach to government. I mean, I've already shit talked John Horgan and I could go on about some of the things that he said and that, um, you know, th- they had a, 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 an election in the middle of the pandemic. And so what's their pandemic response or how much of it is actually public health and what's that the relationship between the two? That's a whole other thing that I think we need to explore on the left is <laughs> is is public health independent? Are they a political wing? Are they controlled by politicians? What let's what's the ideal from the left? That's I have I'm actually waiting for someone to give an analysis on that. But when you look at Ottawa, you know, there's five parties in Ottawa. There's one party that's like firmly on the left. There's one party that's a little bit on the left, although, the you know, two of three members of parliament are are, are firmly on the left. And um, and then you've got like the rest who are like kind of confused in some ways and then extremely not confused in others. And the way that they're not confused is that they serve capital, they serve profits. And you can see that very clearly with, you know, the big banks making huge profits again not record profits but still in the billions of dollars and they'll come close to last year's amounts that they made rogers is going to come close to last year the the loblaws and metro uh, are going to shoot way past where they were because of how much more people were relying on groceries and still that wealth is not being touched it's not going to workers. The government has absolutely no interest in forcing that money to be reallocated. And I think that it just shows what the limits of uh, our current political system are, because on the left, like the NDP has just been unable to do anything more significant than what we've talked about a lot in the last in the last year. And so a lot of people that would say, well, we just have to, you know, get involved and maybe you should run. and, and, And that's how we change things. It's like, no, no, we change things from the ground. What I'm worried about is that change doesn't happen very quickly. And the incredible mobilizations that we saw across the summer for racial racial justice, for Black Lives Matter, um, seeing the fruit of those of that organizing and those movements uh, takes time. And I'm afraid that people see time and sometimes confuse it for a failure or for something that's not working. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. I stand by what we said um, in the summer in that we already won. I really do believe that. Like I, you know, I, there's been a lot of pushback in the United States on the like phrase defund the police, which is, which is a distraction that everyone's like um, having some sort of like uh, um, Mm. a, a big like focus on right now. And it's, it's just this big distraction. It doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, what people know now about policing that they didn't know about policing prior to 2020 is going to have an impact on policy and already is having a major impact on policy. Uh, whether that's the, uh, referendum in California, the ballot measure that happened that reallocated, um, uh, uh, millions of dollars in policing back to social programs or, um, the, the, um, ending the winding down of the mounted police program in Seattle and taking, taking any responsibility from police to engage with, ha- um, 
uh, people who are unhoused. Um, there's been defunding in uh, Portland and in uh, in Oakland and in New York and in Minneapolis and all of these places. And of course, there's been pushback. But the you know the policy, yes, is going to take some time. But the the win is in uh, what we've done to shift culture and the policy comes afterwards it doesn't have to take as long as it's taking it really doesn't (laughs) but you know I I've had this article in me that I've been um meaning to pitch somewhere but I just haven't had the time with exams and everything uh connecting you know Justin Trudeau's uh blackface incident to the lack of response to to the most widespread um, uh, uh, demonstrations that have been had like globally and and in Canadian history on a particular issue that has to deal with black people. His government hasn't really responded to that at all. And in fact, Marcy Ian, who is just um, elected as an MP, uh, a black MP from Toronto, um, she, the very first thing that they had her do, one of the very first things that they had her do, I don't know if you saw this, was introduce the uh, increase to the RCMP budget that they tabled. <gasps> I didn't. Yeah, yeah. It's um, <laughs> So, you know, it, the way that they introduce it is that they have her say, um, uh, Minister Blair, Bill Blair, I'm, you know, uh, what are you doing to protect uh, communities like mine who are experiencing violence in the city of Toronto? And of course, they're, they're thinking to themselves, they need a black person, preferably a black woman, <laughs> given who's been um, active on these issues to introduce this. And then Bill Blair responds by saying, you know, we're, we're going to increase the budget to the RCMP, blah, 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 blah. And so it's just, you know, when you, you know, uh, people were saying that uh, Justin Trudeau being in blackface didn't mean anything, that it was like some sort of childish gaffe, that it has nothing to do with his feelings about black people, blah, 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 blah. But in fact, the way that he's engaged this entire issue, kneeling at a rally that's protesting him ostensibly, like um, putting <laughs> out putting out loans uh, to black people that they would have to pay back uh, in, in higher dividends that uh, have to do with like, oh, just just come get this money and you can have a business or something. Um, in response um, to to the protests, the fact that he's done nothing uh, in this global UN decade for people of African descent, there's been z- zero response, basically zero response, no, literally zero response um, uh, nationally, anything um, concrete to change any sort of policy, to change the way that the RCMP engages with Black or Indigenous people, and then... Um, this really fucking cynical way of introducing a shift in the RCMP budget. It's like I, those those things are all tied together in how he views a population of people as uh, people who um, are worth listening to seriously or not. But uh, and to make that like to turn that that understanding into something optimistic is it's like we have to understand that we, we cannot cannot focus on him or that party or anything. You can't do it. Like that's that cannot be the focus if we're trying to shift policy. That is a losing battle. You know, I'm currently reading um Heroes in My Head, which is Judy Rebick's uh memoir. And uh you know, it's proven in there when she discusses how um uh the 
you know, uh, the feminist movement in Canada was able to strike down abortion laws. It wasn't through begging politicians, you know, who fought tooth and nails to 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 not uh, uh, change uh, abortion laws and to take um, the the actions that feminists were taking, uh, take them to court to get them to stop, to get the Morgenthaler clinics to stop. What they did was they changed culture first. They made um, the the population understand that this is something that needed to be done. And then only after they had done that for years, you know, focused on changing how people felt about this issue, educating people, uh, did the policy follow. It's such an important lesson because I think that, you know, in this age, we expect that social change does happen quickly because we do see massive shifts in some ways. Um, And part of that is like the illusion that there's been a massive shift thanks to some big hashtag campaign or some big flashpoint of some sort. And we forget that, like, to actually change things does require that hard work. And I've seen a lot of people very frustrated with the fact that, you know, 14,000 and by the time folks are listening to us, probably 14,500 people have died in this country because of COVID in nine months. And talking about how little the liberals care about black lives in this country Uh, This is an illness that has disproportionately injured and killed black people and indigenous people and poor or low income people. And uh, and of course, the tie that binds, of course, is is people's people with disabilities. And there's just, you know, you you look at it and go, okay, but like these people are rational. So when are they going to stop the profit model within long term care? When are they just going to stop that? When are they just going to? help these communities out. And it's like, they will not, they will not No, no matter how many people keep dying, they are not going to do that. No one is going to stop the profit model in long-term care. It's going to take more than asking the government to change it, even though they have the total power to do that with one of the largest chains called Rivera, because Rivera is owned by the Canada Pension Plan or the Canada Pension Fund. They're not going to do it because it just makes sense, because nothing happens that way. And so then the question is not, oh, how do we get Doug Ford to not be shitty or how do we get Justin Trudeau to listen to us? The actual question is, what kind of of pressure points can we place on these facilities, on health units, on uh, local decision making structures, on provincial governments or on the federal government to actually force this into a change? And, you know, this is stuff that we've been talking about for years, and it's really interesting to kind of just see it all become so relevant <laughs> in the last uh, nine months. And, um, and, and this is actually a source of really big optimism for me. You know, I, I revisited a piece on my Medium uh, website that I wrote last year, just as I had like finished the year and I was looking forward. It was probably I wrote it on maybe, I don't know, December 22nd or something. So it was really close to when I'd like close my computer and say I'm not working anymore. And the piece is called uh, 2009, Goodbye 2019 or something like that. Uh, it's going to get way worse before it gets better. Oh, fuck you, Nora. <laughs> and and I, I read through it in, like this summer and I was like, holy shit. It is very interesting how um, uh, I felt that last year. And not to say that like, you know, I know you and I have a very good track record of, of being able to tell the future, but not to say that. I mean... I'm not totally prescient, but I, all of the things that I was concerned about last year, um, the, like the obstacles 
haven't necessarily changed, but that popular education, that experience, that that people opening their eyes and understanding that the liberals are actually enemies of the people and they are not a progressive party, there's been so much of that this year. So much. I mean, the liberals have done so much heavy lifting for leftist education just by being shitty that perhaps we should get Justin Trudeau a fucking Christmas ham or something to say thanks. Ew, no. And <laughs> and so the, the question is, how do we then turn that into something in 2021 when we know that the vaccines are going to continue to take time, that we're going to be inundated by news that doesn't reflect what's actually happening with us in our day-to-day lives, which creates this incredible amount of cognitive dissonance and frustration. And, and you just feel like, you know, you're not living in the same world that some external voice is living in, which is very difficult and confusing. And, um, and, you know, most of us probably won't see a vaccine until, until like we're wearing shorts. So, well, I mean, those of us who don't live in LA, uh, sorry. <laughs> so it's cold maintaining... here right now. Okay. Relax. <laughs> oh, I am sure it's cold. <laughs> what is that? Like 14 degrees? <laughs> About. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, so the, one of the things that I, I kind of realized today is um, one of the massive shifts around this time of year, like usually this time of year, we're inundated by the most boring news, right? All these lookbacks and all these lists. And you're just like, oh, this is so boring. But there hasn't even been a, a hint of the baby it's cold outside discourse. And I'm so happy about that. <laughs> there are so many good things to celebrate. <laughs> and I just think we're on an on an incline for 2021. I feel like you need to explain to people what you mean by that, who haven't heard you rant about that before. Well, I'm not even sure I have ranted about it before, but it's just like baby, the, the song, Baby, It's Cold Outside. And, and it was like, oh, the song is, is about rape and it's not, we shouldn't play it. And then people are like, no, it's code because they lived in the 1950s and they couldn't bone. And then it was like, no, but she wants to go home. Anyway, we had to listen to this every fucking year, like starting in it's true, on like December year. 2, right? And and somehow that that whole that has just vanished. And I and it just occurred to me today because I saw I saw somewhere that um, that uh, uh, there's a song that Michael Bublé had to change the lyrics of um, Santa Baby because he can't sing Santa Baby right because it's got to be like macho. What? And so he sang Santa Buddy. Yeah, Santa Buddy can't wait for my chainsaw and socks. You know something like that. Something really manly, I guess. Uh. And. Um, <laughs> It was kind of nice to be reminded that we had the baby it's cold outside discourse and it's gone. So that's my like really honestly I'm more optimistic about that than anything else, I think. Yeah, you know what makes me really optimistic is <laughs> <laughs> less uh anything about Michael Bublé. Um <laughs> but <laughs> but uh you know the work of Khalil Sievright. Um do you know who that is? I don't. Uh, you, you probably will when I explain. He is the, the person in Toronto, the carpenter, who's been building these little oh, wooden yes. shelters. That yes. shit makes me really optimistic. I am here for people being fed up of the ridiculousness of the decision makers who ruin our lives and just doing the work to create something new. Because... Like, come on, like the city fighting this person. It's like, stop spending the money fighting this person and replicate the program under whatever codes you need them to be replicated. (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you? The fuck is wrong with you people? Like you have failed. 
you have failed and where you have failed um, uh, like always, other people have to step in uh, to protect one mm. another and to make things safe for one another. The, the fridges that have been appearing on city streets that, again, a lot of municipal officials have been like taking down these these uh, community fridges. It's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going mm. on? Stop it. Like, stop it. Just take stock of what you're doing. Like, I understand that you're like, oh, you know, this is a violation of this, that, or the other. Okay, great. Cool. But you know what? It's out, like your entire existence and the way that you have been um, conducting yourselves during this uh, pandemic is a violation of the role that you are supposed to play in society um, uh, to the populace. And so, you know, you're fucking up. People are trying to uh, uh, to fill the gaps. And those people are taking it upon themselves to make these programs, to make these systems work, um, uh, make me really optimistic. I read an article recently about um, the failure of governments uh, to protect uh, people from gender-based violence during uh, the pandemic. And I, you know, like I, that has been such a, a deep and frustrating failure uh, to want, like, there's like nothing, there's nothing, there's no plan, there's zero plan um, to assist people who are stuck at home in violent situations. And, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope that going into 2021, that we see some sorts of organizing around this, some sorts of initiatives um, that, you know, aren't waiting for government or demanding that government do something that is just like we're fucking taking it upon ourselves to create this for ourselves because we can't wait for them. We can't wait for them. When you were talking, I was thinking about um, this moment that I experienced a couple of years ago where I really saw community organizing take the place of failed government policy. And that was in the aftermath of the hurricane that hit New York City, which has the amazing name of Hurricane Sandy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I had the opportunity to go down and um, help with relief. And so FEMA had basically like not been able to do the relief work that people had come to expect it to or were told to expect it to. I'm not sure which. And I was helping through uh, Occupy Wall Street. You know, this is like 2013 or something. Uh, yeah, or even 2012. I forget. Probably 2012 because I guess I didn't have kids. I think kids. it was 2012. It was 2012. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it was amazing because like all of the relief efforts were all organized by people doing things through aid organizations, clubs. There were a lot of church groups. There was some yoga clubs. Um, there was enough food for everybody. You can have any kind of food while you're like in between digging people's houses out and demolishing them and trying to clear them from the sea because there's all the seawater stuck in people's walls and stuff. And um, and it was just amazing. And there's this funny moment where one of these organizations had brought a massive solar panel so that we had some electricity and they they set the solar panel up. They asked like some local government office if they could set the solar panel up on their on their driveway. And the government office was like, sure. And someone hang, hung a banner off the solar panel that said another world is possible. Hmm. And the government office was like, if you don't take that banner down, you are going to we're like, you have to remove that solar panel. That is a political message. And I, and I witnessed these two people fighting over this incredible like statement, which is a statement in and of itself. 
And I really felt like I saw the future of how we have to organize ourselves. Um, and it's well, the future probably isn't even a fair thing to say because like the best activism that is happening right now all over the world and including in Canada is activism where people are doing that, where they are setting up camps themselves and creating communities themselves to combat these social policies that have failed. Or indigenous movements that are reclaiming land and not waiting for some kind of bullshit negotiation that Carolyn Bennett and Mark Miller are not going to fucking do. And that is just such, I think that is such an important message from 2020. Politicians have failed with every test that they've had and corporations have have like just continued to do what they always do which is make as much money as possible off of people's backs they don't care who gets injured they don't care who dies they're just doing business as usual and and they certainly don't care about the rules they're like fuck it so i'm just like why do we care about the rules fuck it continue well yeah like at what point did we all like come to a place where we thought that the only way to change things in this country is a petition or to talk to parliament like parliament is a fucking joke and Mm -hmm. i i i am really excited about 2021 to see is this spirit going to continue are people finally going to say you know what i'm going to take my activism into the streets i'm going to take it local i'm going to create a, i'm going to create a daycare that's free i'm going to create a service center for people who are fleeing violence um, and find a new funding model for it because because as, as you said like yeah violence against women is one of these things that this government is like like the proudest to talk about all their accomplishments where they only gave them 50,000 uh, 50 million dollars to 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 shelters and transition houses in the first half of the pandemic and then they're like oh fuck we better give you more so another 50 million came after and 100 million dollars barely even covered what uh, the 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 regular needs plus PPE and other social distancing measures, let alone the increase of demand. So it's just like, yeah, it's totally like fuck the government a hundred fucking different ways, and let's do something together. Let's create something different. Let's create something fucking different. Okay, okay, we I think we were pretty good on optimism um, this episode. Okay, um, do we have any? Any closing thoughts, any bringing it all together, closing thoughts to leave the people with as we enter a new year? Mm. I One of the things I'm feeling a lot right now about like the transition from 2020 to 2021, and I don't know, maybe you're feeling this too. Please let me know. I don't feel like we're moving into a new year. I really don't feel the same feeling that I normally get this time of year. I feel like it's just like the pandemic has us stuck in a moment and that moment doesn't give a rat's ass that we're going to enter into a new year. And that actually doesn't feel bad to me. It feels like we're just still there. We're moving along this pandemic. We still have to do all of these things that we're we're trying to do to keep ourselves safe if we can. And most of us or many of us can't because of work or whatever. And it's like I'm actually just looking forward to that moment where that era feels like it really does change and the the virus does start to go away. And so I don't I don't know. I'm not really looking at 2021 as like anything more than just an extension of where we're at right now, which I guess maybe is depressing. I don't know. I I hear you. I'm feeling the same way, although I don't think I really fully um, appreciated that that's what I was feeling until you named it. So thank you for that. Um, 
But yeah, I was feeling different. Like I usually around this time of the year, I'm like closing out a bunch of projects, getting ready to start a bunch of new projects, setting like new intentions and looking forward to what is about to to launch. And um, that I don't feel that way (laughs) right now at all. (laughs) It does feel like... Uh, you know, I'm still mentally in the summer. I really, I really am. Uh, and so it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like we are moving into a new year. And of course I'm stuck in this seasonless place that really, really makes it feel like nothing is changing at all. Um, but I don't think I feel pessimism from that. You know, there's a way that COVID forced life to speed up at the same time that it was slowing down. Mm -hmm. That's really, you know, it's really disorienting and I'm not really sure how, how to properly describe or explain um, what that's done to, to how I move and work in the world. But I'm feeling right now, um, now that school's done uh, a sense of slowness and uh, like a pause as you described, you know, like a a pause moment, um, which doesn't stop any of the work that I normally do, but it does make the conditions under which the work is happening a little bit different, which makes it, and that's what makes it not pessimistic, you know, like it's, uh, it's a different possibility. The moment is it creates a different possibility. Whenever there's like a a real shift um, uh, in the world's, uh, culturally, there's like a, there's all this possibility that comes from it because you don't know um, how people are going to respond to a particular moment. You don't know what opportunities are going to open up, and so I suppose um, it's you know looking into a new year where nothing feels different, but everything feels the pace feels um, so unfamiliar can be both daunting, but also open up some possibilities. So I, you know, I'm not sure if I'm articulating myself particularly well, but I, I, I will say that I'm feeling the same way. It doesn't feel like it's going into a new year, but I am really looking forward to new possibilities because I think we've opened up a bunch this year. Activists all over the world have opened up a bunch of new possibilities this year um, through so much pain and so much struggle and so much death and so much harm, we have managed to um, work together to take care of one another, to educate one another, to uh, open up possibilities, to demand different, to create different. And that should have been impossible. You know, it should have been impossible, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't. It wasn't. And so there's a way that, yeah, it doesn't feel like a new year, but it still feels like there's some sort of possibility here. And that just, that can't be all bad. You know, that just can't be all bad. There's a lot of optimism there for me. Yeah, it's like, you know, I've been saying this since the beginning that, you know, every single day is a day closer to us being out of this pandemic. And that doesn't mean we know when it ends, but it is true. But to look back and be like, wow, we've come so far in this very difficult and bizarre experience And um, as I know, a lot of you listening will be spending Christmas not probably with people that you spent it with, if you celebrate it, 
Um, maybe it's a relief that you're actually able to say no this year, or, or maybe you're really lonely and you're not celebrating anything and no one's around and you don't know what to do. I think that, you know, first of all, thank you for listening to us. And hopefully you can hear in our voice that we're with you, even if we're not physically together. And that this moment of slowness and of reflection, it really can produce something quite amazing. And it's it's historic for obvious reasons, but it's historic because this is the first time in any of our lives that we've been ha- like had the brakes put on in this way. You know, usually you have the brakes put on because there's like a family crisis or you're plunged into the hospital or, or, or some kind of thing that you have to deal with that's horrible. And of course, a lot of people are dealing with things that are horrible directly as a result of COVID. But for many others, it's, it's just a moment as well where we can take that time, do that reflection and figure out what can I do? What can I offer? What skills do I have? to start building this new world because I mean, it's going to be wild when this is over Mm. fucking a party. It's going to be such a party. (laughs) And in that party and in that celebration there, the pot, then the possibilities like really blow open at the same time that the, the, the people in power will, will want to crush us even further. But that spirit I mean, the fact that this entire pandemic, we've been fighting this urge to be with other people, that is the most fundamental lesson, I think, from this pandemic, that we need people. We need people regardless of age, regardless of ability. We need people in our communities. We need people that we know. We need people we don't know. We need to be in relationships with people, that it's not normal for us to have layers of plastic between us and someone that we don't know, and we have to interact through this through this barrier Um, But it's necessary. And the second that this is all finished, take that loneliness and that desperation that it often created and understand that we have to fight with everything that we've got to create those moments for us to get together in real life with people we know, with people we don't know, and to fight for a better world for us all. (laughs) 